This is Point of View with Chris Berg. Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up here in just a moment, former Speaker of the House in Minnesota, Kurt Zellers, is going to join us. They kind of wrapped up their legislative session yesterday, but also some interesting data coming out of the Minnesota Department of Health. So we're going to talk about that and much, much more coming up here in just a moment. want to start tonight, though, with some sad news. And again, as we talk about, just pay tribute to our outstanding law enforcement. Today, there was a emergency medical situation at the West Fargo Police Department, and the officer unfortunately ended up passing away due to this medical emergency. Name has not been released, but just wanted to bring this to your attention uh, so you can keep that law enforcement officer, his or her family, and obviously the entire department in your thoughts and prayers. All right, let's introduce our special guest tonight, Kurt Zellers, as I mentioned a moment ago, former Speaker of the House in Minnesota. He served six terms there. He now is the VP of Communications and Public Affairs with Primacy Strategy Group. So, Kurt, thanks so much for joining us here tonight. I want to get into some stuff about the legislative session and, and what are the good things that happen for Greater Minnesota. Before we do, though, I just want to get your take on this because I know you've done a lot of work on mental health issues as well. So. Obviously, yeah. there's been a lot of conversation around what's been happening with COVID-19, and, and rightfully so. We lost a lot of Minnesotans due to that. But I want to talk about a different demographic for a moment and how we haven't talked about this, and yet it's made a tremendous impact on these younger demographics. We can bring this graphic up, please. I'm going to share some data with our audience and then just give you a chance to respond, Kurt. So here's what's going on sure. here. I'm just going to give a quick example. But for the age range of 0 to 24 in the state of Minnesota, there was 98 suicides in 2020, 125 drug overdose deaths, and seven COVID deaths. So obviously one death, way too many when you're talking about zero to 24, but boy, the numbers are staggering, 125 overdose deaths versus seven COVID deaths. And yet, I don't know anybody rather than us that's actually even talking about that. So what's missing in that conversation? What can we do to help obviously mitigate the situation? Yeah, it really is. And, and thank you, Chris, for having me on. It's uh, great to be back in uh, my home state, uh, at least in uh, vi virtually speaking. Um, you know, one of the last bills I passed in my uh, last year in the legislature was a bill to allow for an adolescent mental health treatment center here in Maple Grove. That was 2012. And we were at an epidemic rate then. Add in now separation, uh, distance from friends, distance from that constant contact. I have two teenagers. My wife is a public school teacher. I will tell you, I think that this is far more devastating than the COVID-19 pandemic for our children, for our, especially for our high school children and what they have been going through and what they've been experiencing uh, versus any symptoms, any sickness that they've had from COVID. It really has been tragic. And the number of increases in, in individual cases and group cases has been astounding. I, I'm not surprised, sadly, I'm not surprised at these numbers. It is disheartening. And I think it is one of the serious issues that public policy experts and we as parents and as, as school board members really need to address now and in the next six months to a year, because this is not going to go away and this is going to have lasting, lasting effect on our kids. So my question to you is, is where's the balance? Obviously, we expect you as legislators and lawmakers to be able to do more than one thing at a time. And again, I understand COVID taking up a lot of uh, the oxygen in the room. And yet right. these are our young kids. I mean, overdose deaths, suicides. Where's yeah. the balance of focus? And I guess since your wife's a teacher, what do you suggest are some policies that can help mitigate the situation? 
Yeah, you know, and number one, and, and I hate to sound like uh, being a part of the, the, the voice on one side of this issue, but you got to get kids back in school. A lot of the detection, a lot of the early detection on a lot of these issues happens in the school. You know, you're, my wife sees these kids from, you know, five to six hours a day. Their teachers, especially in the grade school levels, is seeing them six, seven hours a day. They're with their these kids sometimes longer than their parents, and they can notice the tiny little changes in their attitude and the way they're relating to their friends and the way they're learning. So you've got to get those kids back in school. And then there has to be, we've got to reduce this stigma around mental health and, and, and addressing these issues. And the third thing I would say is putting limitation on social media. I got to mm. tell you, we're all so addicted to it and we're all constantly checking Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these different things. There's got to be some responsibility on those platforms to regulate this because there's a lot of bullying and a lot of, of, of online aggression between teenagers that's going unchecked and especially being unpunished. Boy, you bring up a fascinating facet there because, you know, you and I, I presume, are not more pro-government control, and yet these oh. companies aren't going to obviously limit this because that's, I mean, you and I are the product. They're not going to want to limit our time yeah. on these things, so it's a really delicate balance. But, I mean, what's fascinating, we've had this conversation before on the show, Kurt, is the fact that if you go out to Silicon Valley and you talk to the people that start these companies, they won't let their kids on the platforms. They're all playing yeah. board yeah. games, and so... Yeah. I, I don't want to dive too deep into that unless you want to make one more comment on that, sir. Um, do you want to say something else about that or should we move on to the session? No. Okay, I, I th that's great. Your point is well taken, too, that they don't allow their own kids on their own sites. That, to me, that's the most telling. I was, that, that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. So let's talk about the yeah. session. A lot of things happen, right. and I want to get to some of the, the things that still need to get done. But let's focus on, for Greater Minnesota, what are the good right. things that came out of the session for Greater Minnesota? Well, you're going to see tax relief for small business owners. The PPP program that is really instrumental in helping some of these small business owners make payroll, take care of rent, take care of utilities. A lot of those things that they were relying on from the federal government, the state of Minnesota is going to conform with. And um, tax conformity is not high up on the list of, wow, look at all the sexy things they did at the Capitol. It's not passing a billion dollar bonding bill. It's not fixing a road or bridge. But in the case of those small business owners, it, it is night and day of them being able to keep their doors open, pay their employees, and then be there for the recovery to begin. And then the second thing I think is there's some serious education funding in there, uh, over half a billion dollars, some of it for summer school education. You know, it's a little bit different from the metro and the greater Minnesota communities because a lot of those greater Minnesota communities really kept par with their students on, on the school year curriculum. But you're gonna see a lot of funding in there for mitigation if they do need extra time for teachers, for tutoring, for additional programming, uh, to really catch our kids up. Because I think that is a real underlying problem for a lot of students is they lost a good year, half a year in there of education and we need to catch those kids up. We can't afford to have them lose one year. So I wanna get your take on this. And again, I, I respect, I think being a teacher is a calling, so I appreciate what your wife does. And yet, yeah. I've got very few references or data that show me that hey throw more money at public education and you produce a better result so yeah number one do you agree with that and two if that's the case why are we not giving that money maybe to the families so that they can spend more time with the kids or help help getting them back on track what's your opinion on that yeah, and I, I would uh, full admission here as a lifelong supporter of school choice. Um, two of our kids go to public school. One of our kids goes to private school. So uh, that's what it's all about, really. I mean, what is the best academic setting for your child, for your student? Um, I fully agree with you. I've watched every year that I've been at the Capitol, the education budget has gone up every single year. You hear from the teachers union that there's been cuts, but it's not a real cut. 
it's a cut in the rate of increase, but it's still an increase. There's more money this year and this biennium than there was last year, the year before, and the year before. School choice is really the only way you're going to get fair competition. And really, on behalf of the students, equal competition. If the dollars follow the student, no matter what school they went yes. to, private, online, charter, whatever they want to go, that is real school choice. And then that's when you have an honest assessment of what schools are doing well and which ones are failing. And it's not a bad thing to identify those that are failing because at the end of the day, think about it, it's the, our kids that are failing. It's not that the, the schools and the teachers are failing each other, they're failing our kids. So why is it a, a, a bad thing to point out that there's some schools that really aren't doing a very good job and we should change their way of doing things. And if they're not gonna do it, then the parents speak with their feet and with those dollars and it falls into the school that best fits their students' needs. So what kind of liberty, because I'm gonna to get to my cynical side in a moment, what kind of liberty is there in Minnesota right now for school choice, a lot or very little? Uh, you know, we, we have a really good, we were one of the first uh, states in the country to really do a good job with charter schools. Where we've fallen down is allowing those students, especially students in, in inner city schools that are failing. You know, you have 40, 50, 60, 70% graduation rate, that's way too low. Yes. Again, who are you failing? Are you failing the teachers, the administration, the school so, board? No, you're failing the students. So, so we need to catch up on that. So, Kurt, here's my question. Half a billion dollars essentially going to the schools. And I know you saw the story where you saw the teachers union dictating CDC guidelines. Yeah. How much of this money potentially can help line the pockets of these teachers unions to continue to vote Democrats into office? Yeah, it, it really should be focused, to, to your point, Chris, on that remediation. So tutoring, uh, whether it's Mathnasium, whether it's, you know, a, a, an online program, or it's a, you know, it's a retired teacher who specializes in math or science or reading. That should be the focus. If we're just going to punch the clock and add an extra month onto this teacher schedule, the step in lane for the teacher's pay, I don't think you're going to see any different results. But if it's truly based on where that student is behind, she fell behind in math, he fell behind in science. They both are doing poorly in English. That should be the tutoring and the focus should be on those programs, on the students' lack of, of educational need, not based on we're just gonna ring the clock four more weeks for the teachers. Yeah, I really wish that money was going into some other yeah. hands. All right, so let's talk about this, sir. Um, one of the I know things that needs to get done before the session wraps up is police reform. Um, I wanna yeah. get to that in a moment, but I wanna share a couple things with you. One is we had Dr. Scott Jensen on a while back. As you know, he's running for governor for the great state of Minnesota. And I asked yep. him, I said, hey, as you're going out across the state, what's the number one thing you're hearing from your constituents? And he kind of surprised me, Kurt, but I want to get your take. He said, Chris, the number one thing is safety. People are concerned yep. for their safety right now in Minnesota. It sounds like you concur with that. And so I want to share with you a clip. This is the Minneapolis police chief yesterday, some kind of press conference, but I want to share with you what he said and give you a chance to respond. Yeah. And I have a specific message for our judges. And while I respect the immense judicial responsibility you have, I, I want to tell you something. I know that when it comes to sentencing, that you look at an individual's criminal history. And oftentimes that sentencing is based on the lengthiness of their criminal history. Well, I want our judges to know that we are seeing a phenomena in our city and across the country where violent acts sometimes occurring, and that is the individual's first or second offense. We're part of an ecosystem of public safety. Our men and women are going to rush into harm's way, and they're going to apprehend those criminals. But to our judges, I beg you to re-examine when you are releasing violent individuals back out into our communities, there's a price that we all pay for that. 
So, Kurt, your reaction to that, do we need judicial reform just as much as we need police reform? Yeah, you know, there, there's a real move uh, probably six, seven years ago to look into this judicial reform, sentencing guidelines, probationary period, fines and fees. Some of these things that really have a harsh economic impact on the people who can least afford them, right? People who are economically challenged, maybe they're in a low-wage job. But when it comes to the violent offenders, there really is no excuse for our judges. There, you, know, you look at the number of crime, number of violent crimes that some of these individuals are committing and who are their victims in their neighborhoods in which they live. And you ask yourself, how can a judge look at that and say, this is judicial reform versus, I understand somebody gets a parking ticket, turns into a thousand dollar fine, turns into a bench warrant. Now you've got a problem that maybe somebody just didn't park in the right place, or maybe they had their tabs expire. That's the real kind of reform we're talking about. But these violent offenders, especially the gun violent offenders, and, and you know who they are, the judges see them multiple times. So it's not like it's a surprise. That's really the, the crux of this. And I would 100% agree with Dr. Jensen. You talk to people in the suburbs, you talk to people outside of the inner city, it is absolutely the number one issue. I drove down there last week to drop off my taxes. Downtown Minneapolis is a ghost town. Nobody wants to go down there. Nobody feels safe down there. And if the answer from the Minneapolis City Council is, well, we don't want to fund the police as much as we used to, and maybe we'll send social workers out to handle these situations. You're not going to make things better. You're only going to make it worse. No, and I think there was six people that were shot over the weekend in Minneapolis. It's just, it's sad to see the degradation of that, that, that area, and hopefully they get it uh, figured out. Last word, sir. So I, I know they've kind of got a, a skeleton agreement here to get this session wrapped yeah. up. Do you see them getting this thing fully complete Minnesota because they can't get it done? Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And yes, we were part of that. Um, we had a, a $6.2 billion budget deficit. Um, these folks are sitting on a $1.6 billion surplus. They have $2.8 billion dollars in federal funds coming in uh, from the the, uh, the Biden administration. So if they can't get this budget done with the amount of money they have, shame on them, because this should be awfully easy. It's a matter of how well you're going to divide up the pie. Right now, they're in a, a kind of a shell agreement, like you said. So it's a sort of end of session. Uh, we agreed on the big number, which is $52 billion. That's up $18 billion from the time I passed a budget in 2011, which, um, not, you know, farm kid math, that's that's a lot, $18 billion in 10 years. Uh, but that budget then now has to be going, now it has to go back down from the upper level where everybody agreed to it, back down to the committee level. So all those chairs and those conference committees have to negotiate out now their piece of the pie. Um, whether that can be done by June 4th or, or 14th, I think is when they talk talked about a special session remains to be seen. I, I'm a little bit skeptical because they've had to get to this point and they hadn't, hadn't been able to come to agreement. So uh, I think you'll know a lot in the next two weeks. Um, there may be a break over Memorial Day, which is never a bad thing. Just let everybody cool off. Uh, but I do I do wonder that they'll be able to get done. The next big deadline, though, to your point, Chris, is July 1st. That's when the new budget starts. That's when all the money runs out. And that's when you start to see things close down, like state parks and some of the government agencies that issue permits. Kurt Zellers, former Speaker of the House in Minnesota. It was a pleasure to have you on tonight, and thank you for giving us. Hopefully I won't have to come to you in the middle of July with an update. That would be a bad thing. <laughs> it would be, but now that everyone's so used to the Skype thing, it's easy, hopefully, for you just to plug and play, and that was very insightful, so I really, really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you back, okay? That sounds great. My pleasure, Chris. Have a great night. Thank you, Kurt. You too. Uh, again, Kurt Zellers, former Speaker of the House in Minnesota, now with Primacy strategy group but i don't know about you but i thought that was just great great information want to invite you to go to our facebook page we're probably going to share this with you on thursday we had another interview with a gentleman by the name of king randall making an incredible impact for young black men down in georgia it's starting to expand across the globe but just 
If you want to know what we can do, and we talk about it a lot here on the show, to develop and build virtuous young men, um, it was a great interview we did earlier today. Again, go to facebook.com forward slash POV now. Now, last night, producer AJ shared her story about her reaction to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We got a ton of feedback about that. So we're going to share some of that with you when we come back. And as always, please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.